I'm Ryan Pitts. I'm Mitchell Prasis. And this is the Hustler Nation. All right. Today we have a special guest. His name is Stu Hynek. Uh Stu is a former Wall Street Journal cartoonist. Um, he's the author of several books. The latest book that he has out is called How to Get a Meeting with Anyone. Uh, he is, the, I believe, the founder of a concept called Contact Marketing. Stu, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks very much. And actually, I'm not, I, I hope I'm not a former uh, Wall Street Journal cartoonist. I think it's still going. <laughs> oh, you, oh, so you're still doing the cartoons? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, 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 if I'm a former one, that's news to me. <laughs> well, anyway. well, thank you for uh, for correcting me on that one. Um, so, well, good. Well, thanks for being here. Um, Mitchell, why don't you kick us off with, with our first question here? Perfect. Um Yes, Stu. So what we always like to ask our guests is, um, you know, just to make sure we're, we're all talking to the right things, we, we want to ask you kind of what's in Stu's world, you know, what, what is your idea of a hustler? And, you know, do you feel you, you meet that def- definition or what ways do you personally try to try to meet that definition? Well, I, I would say, you know, we, certainly the word hustler can have a very negative connotation, Um you know, mm-hmm. sort of bordering on criminal, and that's not that's not a good one. <laughs> but um, but there's also you know the very positive one, which is that it's, a, it's someone who's a self-starter, someone who's self-motivated, someone who's self-directed, uh, and who is really really goal-oriented, and not just goal-oriented, but sticks to these goals and makes them happen. And you know, while the rest of the people stand by and say, "Wow, how'd you do that? How'd that happen?" And and I would say. Um, that I am definitely one of those people. Awesome. And do you have kind of what what ways currently do you, I mean, do you try to stay goal, not only goal-oriented, kind of what you were saying, but, um, you know, obtaining goals? Um, you know, how do you kind of self-motivate yourself, be, be a self-starter? Um, well, I would say the thing is, God, there are so many – so many opportunities in life to do things that are incredible things. Mm-hmm. So many opportunities to invent something that wasn't there before and go out and make it happen. And, um, um, God, I mean, I was, I was just telling Ryan how I met my wife. I saw her in, in a magazine and, um, flew to Copenhagen and met her. <laughs> and and I would say that's pretty hustling <laughs> actually. Um, but you know, I'm starting. Um, I'm starting a new. Uh, I didn't even expect to be talking about this, but I'm starting a new um, nonprofit called BlackAndWhite.org, and we're going to. I'm starting that with um, with Jim Keenan, or really better known as Keenan, um, and we're going to wow. start up something like a something along the lines of a TED kind of platform, and what we're looking for is people to share their wisdom and understanding about race. Because um, I'd like to see us sort of solve the the problem. I don't know if we'll solve the problem, but certainly get people mm-hmm. thinking about it and talking about it in, in ways that are different from what we're seeing right now. So I think, you know, these these protests on the football field. I think they're just sort of a they're a slap in a lot of people's faces. Uh, I, I don't know mm-hmm. that they're really a- accomplishing what they think they're accomplishing, other than to agitate, and that doesn't right. solve the problem. But I think people with wisdom. I mean, one of my favorite people on on the subject would have to be Oprah. 
Um, when Oprah talks, it just makes sense. And she's not looking to divide people. And she's looking to, I mean, and she's done a lot to sort of solve the problem. So, you know, starting things like that, I, I mean, I don't, I shouldn't expect to make anything from it. I don't expect to. And what I expect to, to do is leave something better behind in the world um, than I found right. it. And so hustling can be, it can be, I guess it can be self-serving, but it can also be serving um, the greater good. So those are two awesome. examples. God, there's a lot of my, I use contact marketing. We'll talk about what that is, I guess. But I use the, these these methods for breaking through to people and making things happen, and I do this all the time. So it's, it's just a lifestyle for me. So, Stu, I'll I ask you. Uh, let me ask you this. Oh, that's great, yeah. Yeah, it really, I mean, it really is, especially I didn't realize the, the, the focus with the nonprofit and what you're starting there, Stu, which is tremendous. Tell us a little bit about what I and what I know of you, what I think is kind of your one of your superpowers here, which is related to the book that you've released, which is How to Get a Meeting with Anyone. Um, tell us a little bit about that or how how do you how do, have you been able to do this? to get a meeting with anyone. And with, and, when, and I want you to really emphasize that point of anyone and maybe yeah. some of the folks that you've been able to, to make a connection with. Sure. Well, I mean, well, the first thing is, <clears throat> you know, there are, when I speak to audiences, when I'm, in, I'm speaking in person to, to groups, I usually start off by saying, you know, there are people out there who can change the course and the scale of your, your, your career, your business, and your life. And the challenge is, how do you reach them? Because they're usually important and they're usually very difficult to connect with. Um, and and my answer anyway is contact marketing. And the way that I came up, that's my term for this, but um, the way that I came in contact or started using contact marketing happened very early in my career. Way back when I was, I mean, I was, I was a new, um, new marketing graduate and uh, and I was also a member of the Cartoonist Guild. It was just a, it was something that I always, I just loved doing it. And so I decided I wanted to mix the two together, and I wanted to start creating direct mail campaigns or direct marketing campaigns that used cartoons as the engine to drive response, or drive opens and response, and so on. And I was doing that in this great headwind um, because of David Ogilvy. David Ogilvy, the founder of Ogilvy and Mather, really one of the original thought leaders in marketing used to say mm-hmm. humor doesn't work. Um, and so his, all of his followers were saying that when they'd get up and, and give seminars, for example, in direct marketing, they'd say, hey, one of the things you've got to avoid is using humor. And I always thought they didn't understand it. Um, what I knew about humor was that, it, you, you know, that it's, it's well, cartoons anyway, that they're, they're some of the best read and remembered parts of any publication. In fact, usually they're the best, the best read and remembered Part. And so I wanted to use them. And I, so I, I got two real quick, um, uh, two, two early assignments, one for Rolling Stone, another for Bon Appetit to create these mailings. They were test mailings. And they both beat the, the controls. That's a big deal. That's like, you know, you just beat the record setting um, campaign. And so now yours is the new record setter. That was a big, that's like hitting a Grand Slam home run right out of the box, first time at bat. And I wanted to spread it to the rest of the publishing industry. So I knew that I needed to reach out to about two dozen VPs and directors of circulation at the top uh, publishing houses in Manhattan. And I realized, well, you know, if, if I applied that number that we usually hear about direct marketing, you can, a 1% response rate is a good response rate. 
1% response rate to reach out when I'm reaching out to 24 people would mean that I, I, I came close to reaching one of them, but I didn't reach him. It would have been a disaster. But anyway, I put together this little campaign of, of, of a print of a cartoon about each um, each of those VPs and so each recipient, and then a letter saying, "Hey, this is a device I just used to beat controls for Rolling Stone and Bon Appetit, and we should put this to the test for your titles." Well, that little campaign, that what I called a contact campaign back then, um, it resulted in a hundred percent, not only a hundred percent response rate. I got through to all of them, but they all became wow. clients. And that was from a campaign that cost me less than $100. So you were asking me how I've been using, how I've been breaking through to people. And from that point on, I've been using my cartoons to, to reach people <laughs> that I should never be able to reach. And that includes presidents and um, one prime minister and, and celebrities and um, lots and lots of really countless CEOs, C-level executives and top decision makers, which is really the most useful part of all this, right? I mean, because that's, that's applicable to all of the sales forces out there that are using account-based selling. So anyway, that's what I, I use cartoons. Um, when I interviewed people for my book, I discovered there's, there are lots of really interesting ways to, to reach out and connect with people, but with, with great audacity and, and incredible response rates, really incredible mo uh, metrics. But that's what I, I've, I've been using that's my go-to method is I'm always using my cartoons. It's always working. It's like a secret weapon. Wow. Can, can you um, just for our listeners who, who may or may not know, kind of uh, explain what contact management is? Well, it's actually contact marketing. And, contact and, marketing, my apologies. Yeah, contact marketing. And, and so what contact marketing is, is it's characterized by – these, these micro-focused campaigns that are designed to help create contact with VIP prospects, and in a lot of cases, it's now assigned accounts. Um, and um, and what we so <clears throat> the these campaigns range uh, from really from uses really simple uses of, uh, of 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 social media and email and and direct mail all the way up to God, one one guy used one guy wrote a contact letter and ran it as a full page ad in the Wall Street Journal to get a hold of Larry Ellison. It cost him ten thousand dollars to do it, but it resulted in um, it resulted in the sale of the guy's the guy's client's company um, for three hundred fifty million dollars. So that one, wow. They, you know, I was talking about the metrics. I mean, the metrics on these things are just, they're just stunning. Um, I've seen 100% response rates a few times. I just described one, but I've seen 100% response rates in close happen a lot. Um, not all the time. I should I don't want to mischaracterize it. It's not that it always works and it always gets 100%, but um, sometimes even when you get 10% or 20%, it's way better than zero that you were getting before. So it always seems to have a, just a dramatic effect on these metrics. But anyway, what I've seen is that these campaigns have gone as high as 100% response rates and ROI in the tens even tens and hundreds of thousands of percent. And in that one case that I just described, uh, the, the campaign to reach one guy, Larry, although it is Larry Ellison, um, that was a three and a half million percent ROI. That's wow. pretty crazy, isn't it? <laughs> 
Oh, you know, I should also, maybe I should explain also that as I interviewed all the top sales thought leaders in the world for my book and asked them, hey, when you have to break through to someone who's really important but very, very difficult to reach, how are you doing it? They would um, they'd share with me all these all these um, techniques, but no one had a name for this. And um, and since I was calling that first one, the one I described with all the publishers, I, I, I thought, well, look, I, I don't know what to call it either, so I called it a contact campaign. And um, and so as, as I was talking to people, and I'm, I'm realizing how pervasive this is. A lot of people use some form of contact marketing, and some some form of audacity to break through to people that just were critically important to them, but no one had a name for it. So I gave it the name contact marketing in the book. So Stu, I want to ask you about the audacity part, like the the being audacious. Um, speak, can you speak to that? Like, because I think what happens with a lot of people is they may have target prospects or individuals, and let's just focus for now, let's say in the sales arena, where they have people, they say, man, if I could have a dream you know, meeting with XYZ prospect, this is who it would be, but I just have no way of getting in front of them. And I think that that audacity is part of that component, meaning someone, they're not willing to to take the step, meaning they feel like it's beneath them to re- to make contact. Speak to that. Well, um, sure. I mean, audacity is one element, but it's a, it's the fun element, actually. But it's just one. I mean, certainly, if you, I mean, the thing is, you're reaching out to people who, um, who hear from salespeople. If you're reaching out to someone in the C-suite, especially, they're hearing from people who would like to sell to them constantly, hundreds of them a day. And really, they're getting they're getting bombarded with pitches via email and and the phone and so on, on social media as well. Uh, and and you know. These executives just don't have to, nobody has time to sit around and listen to a pitch, not unless you've asked for it. But nobody's, mm-hmm. either, no one's going to pick up the phone and have someone say, hi, I'm so-and-so, uh, I'm, I'm with this company. I'd like to tell you a little, take the next 20 minutes to tell you about what my company does. You'd be saying, I don't I just don't, I, you know what, there's nothing I would like to do less than this, <laughs> you know. Or more than that, or something for whatever. Whatever, I lost my. Uh, then we're not taking that call. On that one a little, but I don't want to take the call. That's, <laughs> uh, I'd rather I'd rather have a root canal than this, you know. Um, so you know, you've got to humanize yourself. Uh, you have to. You certainly have to believe that you belong in the midst. You mentioned that that some of them, many people just don't try because they don't feel like they belong. Speaking with uh, with C level executives uh, and particularly CEOs, but. Um, you know, we we do if we can bring something of value to them, uh, and we do if we understand how it is that we can fit into their world. And I think probably the best, maybe one of the best things they can do is just to start with doing their homework. Who is this person? What are they? What's what's got their attention? What are they? What are they worried about? Um, what's what are their priorities? Just you know, just get to know them a little bit. Um, goes a long way. But then once you've done all that. Certainly, audacity plays a great role in causing you to stand out. And I, I, it might be helpful to give a couple of examples. Would that? Would that? Yeah, I think that would be very helpful. Okay. Well, so there's one one fellow that I that I interviewed for the book, um, Dan Waldschmidt. You may know him. You may have interviewed him. I don't know. Dan is one of the top sales bloggers in the world. He writes edgy conversations, um, and his best-selling book is also called Edgy Conversations. So he has this sort of knife's edge. Um, uh, you know, aspect to his brand personality. Not only that, 
but Dan runs 100-mile races and wins. <laughs> He's an ultra-competitor. So there's all this knife's edge and competitiveness to his personal brand. And his 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 actual business, though, is he's a turnaround specialist. And he has this really interesting process for reaching the CEOs of distressed companies. What he does is he, he combs the business news every morning, and he's looking for stories of missed earnings estimates. When he finds one, he notes the CEO's name, certainly the spelling of the CEO's name. And he has this beautiful, beautiful sword made up um, by the prop maker who made all the prop, I mean, all the swords for Gladiator, the movie. They're just beautiful. Uh, by the way, they're not sharpened, <laughs> which is an important okay. point. But, um, but they're beautiful. He has, he has them engraved with the CEO's name and a, a, an inscription that says, if you're not all in, you're not in at all. Um, he places that in this beautiful mahogany box felt lined, it's beautiful, with a handwritten note. And the note just says, Dear Bob, we'll say Bob's the CEO, Dear Bob, I, you know, I, war, I mean, sorry, business is war, and I see you lost a battle recently, and I just want to let you know, if you ever need a few extra hands in battle, we've got your back. And that's it. Well, he puts his name and his contact information in, but that's it. There's nothing about his brand, nothing about what he does for business, nothing. It's just um, him reaching out Offering a consolation, offering him a gift, offering this guy a gift um, at a time when he's probably very lonely. I mean, probably not many people <laughs> giving him gifts at that point. Um, and and he's and what Dan reports is that that sword campaign generates a hundred or he said essentially a hundred percent response rate. So there may be one or two that that don't respond, but basically they do. Now, here's what's audacious about it. Besides the sword and, all, everything, and the fact that he didn't brand it, I mean, we're all, as marketers, we're all taught to, or it seems like we have the the, um, the instinct to just shove our brand into everything, push our brand everywhere. They would, you know, most people would put their brand on the sword even, you know, their logo or something. But Dan didn't do that. And because he didn't do that, it makes it all the more intriguing. Um, all of that is audacious. And, um, and here's another audacious fact about it. Those, those sword campaigns cost $1,000 a piece. Every time he sends one, he spends $1,000. That's audacious. Um, but, you know, and, he, and as I said before, he, he gets essentially 100% response rate, which means essentially everyone he sends these to talks to him. That's not to say that every one of them becomes a client, but that's okay because every time he sells a uh, an engagement, it's worth a million dollars and up. So you can afford to spend a thousand dollars to reach these very, very tightly targeted, ultra critical and, and ultra important uh, prospects. And uh, and and I think the audacity shows through really, really well. There are a bunch of other examples I could give you, but I mean, someone used a, a pigeon to reach Steve Jobs once. <laughs> There's all kinds <laughs> of things people have done that are audacious. That carry them through, but I think before you even get to that point, you and I, you know, you've got to do your homework and then use the audacity to humanize yourself to the the people you're trying to reach. Again, they they are hearing from hundreds of people a day if they're in the C-suite, and so um, you need to humanize yourself. You need to show up as a human being, someone worthy of their time, someone who's interesting, someone who has maybe something compelling to offer or share or, or speak about. Instead of someone calling up and saying, "I'd like to tell you about what my company does," <laughs> can you right. spare a couple of you know twenty minutes to to listen to this? Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. So, 
And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you have a follow-up question, Ryan, but I, I want to jump in. So I, I could imagine that, you know, I mean, a more majority of our listeners, they don't, they may, they might not have the access to, let's say, run a, a strategically targeted um, marketing campaign that costs a thousand dollars. I mean, so, and that's that's great that you know he he's able to to run these magnificent campaigns that are super successful. And of course, you know when you're pouring in those resources, you you know you want it to be that successful, and you know it's great that it is. So, how can you kind of I guess my question is, someone who's maybe uh, bootstrapping it a bit. Let's let's mm-hmm. do it like that. Um, what are kind of your your recommendations to to move towards that, or to to do to start utilizing contact marketing, maybe on a on a bootstrapping level. Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, actually, so again, in my research for the book, what I ended up finding was twenty categories of contact marketing campaign types. And um, and these ranged in cost per contact from zero to ten thousand dollars. Well, you you just heard the story about the ten thousand dollars, but mm-hmm. from zero to ten thousand dollars per contact. So uh, you know, and obviously, to your your point is that it's it's a high risk thing to spend ten thousand dollars or a thousand dollars or five hundred dollars, whatever the, the number is. It's, it it can it can be a risk that there's certainly there's a risk that you won't break through to every one of them and. And how does that, you know, that may not play well with your metrics or with your pocketbook. So how do you do this on a much cheaper basis? And as I mentioned, they range from zero all the way up to $10,000. So on that zero end, um, gosh, there are just some really interesting and just simple uses of email or the phone, for example. Um, one one of the thought leaders shared with me his technique. He said, you know, I usually call two minutes before 10 or two minutes before two because 10 and 2 seem to be the most common times that executives have have um, set up appointments to have calls. And they pick up the phone directly because they're thinking that the call is coming in just a couple minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't cost you anything, right, other than having phone right. service. Uh, another right. one is um, – another one suggested, and I've used it and it works, it's, it works really well, is to send an email to um, – to the executives, uh, well, just to the executives, either early Saturday morning uh, or in the or, or Sunday evening. And the logic behind this is that most of them seem to get up early and check in, um, and it's a time when their inboxes are, are a lot less full, or a lot less active. Right. So they're checking in before they start their weekend if it's early Saturday morning, or they're checking in as they're getting ready for the week ahead Sunday evening. Um, in either case. Keep that email very, very, very brief. In fact, in, in the book, I, I talk about using an anti-pitch. I, I really recommend strongly against pitching anything because it's presumptive. It's not, it's not time to pitch something. Um, not until mm-hmm. you're, you're, not really until you've been asked. So, but it's more like you, you can ask a question, you can make a suggestion, um, and. And and, uh, and and I suggest that you do this in one sentence or less, really 12, 12 words or less. Keep it really, really short. You know, someone said to me that they reached out using um, using email to um, to Mark Benioff, the the founder and chairman of uh, of Salesforce.com, and um, and he said I I 
I can't remember quite what the email was, but it was essentially along the lines of, I did this for this company. Would this be of interest for Salesforce? That was it. Um, and so and he got, got a message, I mean, he got a response back 30 seconds later from Mark um, saying, yeah, it is, and, and here's who I want you to touch, I mean, who, who I want you to touch base with. Um, and I've, I've actually used that, and I've reached Mark as well. I have to just make a right. really, really brief, you got to make it really brief, respect their time. We, we all have heard how much um, CEOs are paid. Well, if you divide that by every minute that they're at work or every second, you can you can see how much that time is worth. So you be very respectful of their time and make everything you do very, very brief, but compelling and, and interesting in a way that they're saying, really, you could do that? Well, how would you do that? Right along those lines. So anyway, those are those are the kinds of uses that you can you can put um, uh, email, uh, um, the phone, and and social media as well to use, uh, and they don't cost you anything other than you have to have an inter- internet connection on a computer. But assuming you already have those and those costs aren't factored in, they cost nothing. Yeah. Sue, thanks for joining us today on Hustler Nation. Um, His latest book that's out is called How to Get a Meeting with Anyone. Get the book. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Well, if someone someone wants, one of our listeners want to follow you, where where can they follow you? Do you have a a blog, LinkedIn? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn um, and I'm on Twitter. On Twitter, my handle is by Stu Hynek, so B-Y-S-T-U. H E I N E C K E. Um, they can do that. I have an author page, stuheinick.com, where they can go and actually get a, a, a preview of the book, first uh, chapter and the and the introduction. Um, and on, on, and you can find me on on LinkedIn as well. It's, uh, people are finding me all the time, and the people that are reading the book are finding me and, and telling me their their experiences with it, which seem to be pretty good. Uh, so it's it's it, okay. it must be pretty easy to reach me uh, in those ways. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Stu. It was a pleasure having you.